This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Infertile Millennial. This is my very first podcast talking about infertility, IVF, and surviving your way through your fertility journey. I have been really wanting to do this for a long time. I recently opened up about my fertility journey, and as soon as I did that, I had just tons and tons of messages from other women who are struggling and going through the same thing. And seeing all these women open up about their stories, it got me thinking that wouldn't it be a great idea to have a space where myself and others can share their fertility journey struggles to not only help them by talking about it, but helping others who are going through the same thing. And so that is where Infertile Millennial was born. And this week also happens to be National Infertility Awareness Week. So I thought that this would be the absolute perfect time to start this podcast. So in today's podcast, I thought, what a great way to start this entire series than by talking about my entire fertility journey. And I don't think I've ever actually opened up about that yet. I know I've talked about my IVF journey, parts of that on YouTube, on Instagram, but I haven't actually shared my entire story. So today's episode is really just opening up from start to present of where I'm at, how I got here, and what I have been through in the past five and a half years of trying to conceive. So we're going to take it back all the way to 2014, which is when my husband and I started trying to conceive. So we kind of made the conscious decision to start trying the month that we got married, which in hindsight probably wasn't the smartest thing anyway, because we did get married young. Um, we got married when we were 20 years old, so we weren't even legal to drink yet, but we really did want to start a family young. And at the time I was already working full time at a salon and he was in college and he was co-oping at the place that he currently works now. But we basically had a plan that it would probably not, we wouldn't get pregnant like right away. We, it would probably take us maybe like six months to a year. And, it, and then the timing where I'd be pregnant for nine months, like it, it kind of worked out to where he would have graduated or be close to graduating. And then he would have his full-time job and I'd be working where I was working or whatever. I don't really remember what the plan was. So we started trying the month that we got married. So October of 2014. And, you know, at first it's just like fun, I guess, but we, um, we really didn't, I wouldn't actually say it was like trying. I think it was not trying, not preventing at the time, but after a few months of that is when I was like, okay, this is obviously not working. Maybe we need to actually be trying. So I want to say it was maybe June or July of 2015. 
is when I actually started using like OPKs, which are ovulation predictor kits and, you know, timing, doing the doing around then. And then, um, you know, I looked into like, what should I be eating and what, is there there anything I can use to like help this process along? So I think we even used like pre-seed because that was supposed apparently it helps. I don't know if that's true. Obviously it didn't for us, but we were trying so many different things and I think it was like even just shy. It was obviously the summer of 2015 where I started getting the feeling like maybe something's not right. But of course, like they say, a normal relationship, normal couples take, you know, up to a year. So I wasn't super freaked out, but I know at some point that summer of 2015, we were actually starting to like stress out about it, which obviously doesn't help the situation at all. But I think we both were like a little bit concerned, but not, you know, entirely, which is totally normal. I know a lot of couples stress and it's super annoying to hear, don't stress about it. You're only going to make it worse. That is true. But also, I mean, you have a right to be a little bit worried. (laughs) So I think it was towards the end of 2015 where it had been just over a year and I said, okay, I think we need to maybe go to the doctors and just like get checked out, see if anything's wrong. Because I think, you know, once a year goes by, definitely talk to a doctor if nothing's happening. So I know I went in and everything was fine as far as we knew. Um, And then he had a sperm analysis done and it was February of 2016 that we got the results back. And, um, I remember my husband basically asked me, you know, would I love him no matter what? And it was really random because I didn't actually know he had the test results back, but he had turned to me and said, would you love me no matter what? And I was like, of course, (laughs) you know, like what, why wouldn't I? And he basically said, I got my results back and I have low sperm count. And I was like in a little bit of a shock, but at the same time, it kind of made sense because again, we were really young. I think we were 21 already at this point and we still weren't pregnant after trying for a year. So I remember it being a little bit of a relief because now we had an answer as to why it wasn't working. And then we could like, you know, focus on that issue and try to, you know, whatever we could to make it better. Um, but then he showed me his results and it was like low sperm count, low morphology, low motility, and that's not really a great mixture. So I remember feeling really, you know, happy to find a result or figure out what's going on. But at the same time feeling like, oh my gosh, what if we really can't have kids? And that was like the first moment of what if we really can't have kids? But, you know, they say it only takes one and he obviously didn't have zero. So we just kind of continued trying naturally and just, you know, again, we were young, so we weren't like ready to try anything super serious, like fertility treatments or anything like that. But he did get put on a medication to help build the count and it did work. 
Um, I don't remember what the medication was, but he did go on a medication for about four months and it did, I think, double the count, which is good, but it was still considered low. And for some reason we stopped because again, we were young. We weren't super serious about having kids yet, but we were still kind of trying. And that's just kind of, I feel like we were sort of in that limbo for a good solid like year after that. So between the years of about 2016 to 2019, we really didn't do much with our, you know, infertility struggle, except for just keep trying naturally or maybe not trying at all and seeing if that works. And of course, it's always in the back of your mind, like, am I pregnant? So you're not not trying, I feel like, but yeah, it was always in the back of our heads. Like, you know, I think we're going to have to figure out a different way to get pregnant. And so, you know, for the longest time we toyed with the idea of adoption and then, you know, the idea of a fertility treatment, but we felt like either way we weren't going to be able to afford that because it is super expensive. And so I think he took it upon himself because I just, I didn't know what to do. I was really struggling with the whole fertility journey. I was getting really bad anxiety and um, I think he took it upon himself to look into, you know, what's the cost option for adoption and for infertility, like IVF treatments and stuff. So surprisingly, we found that adoption is way more expensive than IVF at least for us and the clinic that we chose, adoption was going to cost like thousands of dollars more. It was insane. We couldn't believe it. However, IVF is not guaranteed. Adoption, for the most part, maybe you'll have to wait longer, but I feel like you have a higher chance of getting a child at the end of it. But because we had found out that IVF was cheaper or more affordable, I guess, we wanted to go that route because I truly wanted to experience having our own child together and carrying that child and being pregnant and all of that. So we had our first meeting in 2018 with our fertility doctor and he basically gave us advice that we had never considered, but he had said to us, okay, I looked at your sperm count and here's the deal. If you wait, you don't know if it's actually going to get worse. So my recommendation is that you do it as soon as possible or at least, you know, freeze some sperm samples for the future because say you wait a few years, maybe your odds go down, maybe the numbers go down, maybe it goes down to zero because there was no explanation as to why this happened to him. It was just a complete fluke. They still don't know. I mean, it's really not like a known thing, so... We basically, that kind of pushed us to do it. So our plans were to do IVF at the end of 2018. So as the end of 2018 is getting closer, I start getting cold feet because it's just so expensive. And we had just bought a house at the beginning of 2018. It was our first house. And I just got cold feet. I was getting really bad anxiety. And I was like, you know what? I just, I'm not comfortable starting it yet. And I think you have to be like mentally ready to start because this journey, um, from what I've learned, takes a lot out of you. And I just wasn't ready. And luckily my husband respected that decision and we decided to put it on hold. And 
I just, yeah, I think I needed time to really think about it. And, you know, when 2019 came around, we started talking again about maybe doing IVF at the end of the year, but I don't know because it's so expensive. And I think a lot of couples have that debate of like, this is like a huge investment, except for you don't really know if you're getting anything out of it. So it's really, really wild to like make that decision. And it's a really, really important decision and difficult decision to make. But we kind of came back to that that idea of you don't actually know if if the sperm count's going to go down or go completely zero um, and you're only getting older. So that's kind of what made our decision. So we went in for our another appointment again and our doctor basically looked at us and said, you guys are so young and if your only issue is male factor, then I, you're going to get pregnant. Basically, like you guys are a sure win. You're going to help my um, stats about, you know, how many people come here and have a successful pregnancy. So we were really excited because it kind of felt like, oh my gosh, this is the answer to what we've been, you know, waiting for, for I think at the time had been four years of trying almost. So we were, we were pretty much ready to start this journey. So we decided to start our first IVF cycle at the end of September because we had a huge vacation that we went on and we had never been on like a super nice getaway vacation, just the two of us. So we had this plan for a while, like way before we decided to do any IVF that year. So probably not financially the best decision, but I think we really needed it. And it was our five year wedding anniversary in 2019. So that was basically our like anniversary trip. So what I ended up doing was when I got back from my trip, luckily, like literally five days later, I was able to start my period. And when you do IVF, they typically have you call between the second and fourth day of your cycle to go in and get your baseline blood work. And what that blood work does is it tells you just what your normal hormone levels are. So they know how much to give you during your cycle to help aid in a successful pregnancy. So I went in and got my blood work done. And for some reason, I was thinking that that was the cycle I was going to do IVF. So I was really excited. I was like, oh, in a month, I'll be pregnant, you know? And that is so not the case. Um, I went in and I I got my blood drawn and they were like, okay, you know, um, so we're going to put you, get back on birth control when you're done and then call us on your next period. And I was like, wait, I don't get to start IVF this month. And she's like, nope. <laughs> so that was really disappointing for me. I don't know why I thought I was going to start, but I, um, I guess I didn't pay attention to the time span in which they said that it would take to do this. So I believe I went back on birth control when I started or when I ended my period. And then in between that, they had me come in for a saline sonogram. And what that does is they basically put a catheter in you with fluid to see if things are clear. They get a good look at what your uterus is like, and they can kind of like really examine it there to make sure it looks fine. So I, for some reason, was really nervous about that. Um, It was my first time being examined by the doctor. So like I'm super, um, I don't really know what the word is, but I don't like I'm not here to just like spread my legs open for people. So it was really awkward for me. Um, so I get there and I'm laying on the table and my husband's next to me, thank God. And like four people walk in the room and, um, my pants are off and there's like four people who walk in the room and it's a nurse, the doctor. And then the doctor says, Hey, I hope you don't mind. I have these interns. And I'm like, yeah, sure. The more the merrier apparently. So 
you know, we start this, it's very uncomfortable. Um, but I'm looking at the ultrasound screen and I'm seeing, you know, that they're looking at something and I'm starting to get nervous because as far as I know, everything has been good with me. So it was really, really kind of scary to see them really honing in on something they're seeing on the screen. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to get nervous because I can tell like his demeanor is a little bit disappointed that I'm not super healthy. (laughs) So he basically tells me, okay, two things. One is you have endometriosis. Um, that completely shocked me because I never in my life have had any symptoms or anything to make me feel like maybe I have this. So I was in complete shock. I had no idea that I had this. He said that we see scar tissue and you're going to have to get surgery to remove it, which when you're hearing that for the first time, I can understand you getting emotional because I did too. I was trying so hard to hold back the tears in the office. I cried the entire day because I was like, I don't understand why I have to get surgery. I didn't think I was going to have to go down this road. It was just really upsetting and terrifying for me. But then number two, they noticed that my cervix is like, I think always closed or something or like always... I can't really remember what it is, but basically I have to like dilate my cervix in order to get surgery and to do the transfer. And, um, to me that was just like super scary. So finding out I had endometriosis was a huge shock and I was just so devastated. I just couldn't believe it. And, um, so they had scheduled that surgery for like the day before Halloween or something like that. It was right around Halloween. So I had to wait like a good couple weeks to get surgery in this entire time. I just remember being so upset and just so emotional about it, which is I think a natural reaction. So basically the surgery that they give you is a hysteroscopy. And what they do is you dilate your cervix the night before, which is extremely painful. And, um, honestly, it feels like what I imagine, uh, contractions to be like, cause it wasn't a constant pain, but it would like come and go and keep me up all night. And it's just awful. And then the next day you have to go in and get surgery and they do put you under. So you're going under anesthesia, which is kind of scary for some people. And they're going in there with like a little camera and removing any scar tissue that might be in there could prevent, you know, an embryo from taking. And, but it's a very quick procedure. I think, you know, all in all, it takes about 20 minutes and then you wake up and, um, you're in a little bit of pain and that's basically what a hysteroscopy is. It's really not too difficult of a surgery, but if you've never been through surgery, I can understand your emotions about it because that's kind of how I felt as well. So after my surgery was done, I remember my doctor came in to our like recovery area and he said that everything's been taken care of and your uterus looks beautiful. And um, that was definitely the first time I've ever gotten that compliment. Um, But yeah, I remember feeling really good about it. I was like, okay, awesome. This has been taken care of and I was upset for nothing, you know? So I believe it was when November rolled around, I was off of birth control and I was able to start my injections. And, um, I actually have a YouTube video talking about my first IVF journey. And I actually did film, you know, the entire thing. 
So you can see sort of my reaction of first having to do the injections. You know, at first I was like, oh, I can do these. And then when you actually go to do them, you're like, okay, this is actually kind of terrifying sticking a needle inside of you and doing it multiple times a day. But eventually I did get the hang of it and it just became routine. Like, you know, do two injections at night, do one in the morning, take all your pills, whatever you need to. And and you start kind of feeling like a human pharmacy almost because you're just, you have so much medication. And speaking of medication, sometime way before my surgery, um, we did have to like order all the medication. And I was so shocked. You guys, it was like three to $4,000. You would not believe how expensive, I didn't believe. I actually remember when I went to order it because you had to order it through your insurance pharmacy. The woman was super rude about it. First of all, she was like, we were trying to pay for it. And she's like, oh my God, this is going to be really expensive. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. That's exactly what I want to hear right now before I drop like three to four K. Like, thank you. But yeah, they're very expensive. I was shocked and it has nothing to do with the actual IVF price. So I just, yeah, it was it was a huge shock to us. But I mean, they obviously are very important <laughs> for this process. But yeah, so I was doing injections. I don't even remember for how long. And at this point, you know, when you're starting the injections, they're basically there to help you build up as many eggs, grow as many follicles as possible. And you're at this point going in every other day for, uh, ultrasounds and blood work. And you are getting very uncomfortable because, you know, your ovaries are starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger, (laughs) bigger than they really should be. And it's just very uncomfortable. to like, sit down. I remember two days before my retrieval, it was the night I had to do my trigger shot, which basically like releases the eggs to start uh, ovulation I was so miserable I've never been more miserable in my life it was so painful and I was just ready to have the retrieval surgery done so we did the trigger shot on a Friday and my egg retrieval was on a Sunday so I remember her sitting in the waiting room and I got there and um I just, I couldn't sit down very well. So I had to like, I probably looked ridiculous, but I mean, I could hardly sit down in a chair. It was so uncomfortable and I was just ready to get them out of me. And, uh, the retrieval was definitely by far the most painful part for me. When I woke up, there was just so much pressure in my uterus and, I remember just being like, I am in so much pain. Please help me, (laughs) you know, just like, oh my gosh, it was so painful. And, um, when I went, when I got home that night, I just went to sleep because I was just so exhausted from that process, but so thankful that it was done. And, um, typically when you have a retrieval, they're able to call you the next day to let you know, you know, how many of your eggs were mature, how many fertilized, And I was just super excited about that. That was going to be a really huge step for us because we have never obviously gotten there. As far as we know, we've never been able to like actually make an embryo together. So that was a very nerve wracking part for me, but I was very fortunate because they ended up calling me at like 10 AM the next morning to let me know that they retrieved 21 eggs, 20 were mature enough and 15 fertilized. I could not believe 
that 15 fertilized, that was just insane to me. I just thought like, I did not expect that number. I I thought that was great. And then, um, I think about nine of them actually made it to day five. So they end up growing your embryos for you for three to five days, but it's typical to have a five day transfer. And as long as you're not experiencing, um, OHSS, which is over, I don't know, you're overstimulated your ovaries. Basically. Um, if you don't have any symptoms from that, then you're able to do your fresh transfer. And I was lucky enough to not have to deal with any issues. And we scheduled our transfer for, uh, five days later. So it was on a Friday that we did our fresh transfer. And it was honestly the, one of the most intimate moments of my life with my husband. It was just so cool. We got to watch the embryos on a screen and then they moved them into the room very carefully, put the catheter inside, and we got to watch them like float into my uterus. And it was just like such an amazing experience, honestly. Definitely one of the best for sure. And um, that day I went home and laid down and didn't move for the day. That's what I was told to do. And uh, um, that night, I think my husband just kind of like treated me like a princess and I didn't have to do anything. Um, and then that weekend we kind of took it easy, but I did, I remember I walked around a little bit and, um, I just kind of waited to see if this worked. Um, the first transfer I did, I, I had no patience that Monday, like literally three days after my transfer, I went and bought a ton of pregnancy tests and I started testing every single day. And of course it was negative early on, but I kept testing every single day, except for, I believe my, um, my two week wait was over like Thanksgiving. So on Thanksgiving day, I did not test because I didn't want to be disappointed if it was negative all day. So I basically tested every day and about nine days past transfer, I was still testing and still getting negatives. And pretty much at that point, if you're not positive, it's pretty much not going to be positive on a blood test. So I was very, very, very upset. And I couldn't believe that, you know, I went through all of that and nothing worked. And I went in for my blood test. I was so upset. And my nurse asked me, did you test? And I said, yes, but it was negative. So I'm really, you know, I'm not expecting much. And she said, well, it's not typically a good sign, but it still could be positive. So I did hold out hope, but I think I kind of knew in the back of my head, like this just didn't work. So around 3 p.m. that day, they called me and they did confirm that it was negative. And I was just so heartbroken. And so was my husband and I mean, honestly, for weeks, I was just so upset. I couldn't believe it didn't work. And we were really upset. On the other hand, we still had seven very nice graded frozen embryos left. So in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I still have another chance with this. My insurance allows me for two more covered rounds of IVF. Let's do a frozen transfer. So we did find out that our first IVF cycle failed in the beginning of December. So we were able to have, you know, a nice break, do Christmas with family. So lots of time with family, lots of time to get your mind off of it. And, um, we actually were ready to jump into our second cycle pretty quickly. I believe I actually did start my birth control and do, um, a baseline blood draw again at the end of December. And then, um, because they knew what they knew from my first cycle, we already knew I had to do a hysteroscopy again because 
finding that I have endometriosis and scar tissue and stuff, they knew they were going to have to remove that. So they scheduled my hysteroscopy for January 17th. And then my frozen embryo transfer was scheduled for February 13th. So it was going to be a much quicker process and much easier, a lot less medication. And we were just excited to just try this again because our doctor did let us know that for some reason, frozen embryo transfers have a better chance at taking. So we were pretty excited and we, I did do my surgery on January 17th and everything came back great and we were really excited and I was scheduled to do on January 22nd, my Lupron injection, which basically stops your body from ovulating. So it's doing the opposite of what you try to do in your first cycle but this time they don't want me to ovulate because they want to manipulate that themselves. So I did that trigger shot on January 22nd and that was a Wednesday, I believe. And then that Saturday I was laying in bed in the morning and I see that my nurse is calling me and you know, it is weird to have them call on the weekends cause they don't typically do that. Although But then with IVF, you know, you're talking to your nurse like 24 seven. So at that point I was like, well, it can't be that weird, you know, but I was worried that they were like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have done your trigger shot then. I don't know. So I answer the phone and my nurse, you know, she calls me and she's like, hi, um, I just want to let you know that we just got, uh, biopsy results from your hysteroscopy, which I never heard anything about biopsy results in my first transfer. So I don't know if like, because my first transfer failed, they wanted to do maybe like a biopsy of the lining to see if it can take an embryo, all of that. And I was on an implantation protocol, so it might just have been a part of that. So she let me know they did a biopsy and they discovered that I have chronic endometritis, which is not the same as endometriosis. Chronic endometritis is an inflammation of the uterine lining and it can be caused by an infection or, you know, other things. I don't really think they know for sure because it is kind of a new finding. So I didn't really know what that meant, but she immediately wanted me to get on two antibiotics. So she called them and she said, you have to start these today. And unfortunately in 10 days, you're going to have to have another surgery to see if it's gone after taking this, um, medication. So I was really upset because I was like, I just had surgery. I can't believe I have to do this again. But you know, at the same time I trust them and I really wanted this to work. We just had a failed one. So I'm like, okay, whatever you say. So I started 2000 milligrams of antibiotics. One was ciprofloxacin and then another one was flagell. And I will tell you that from day one, taking them all the way through the 10 days, that is when I've never been more miserable. Um, something about, I think it was the flagell just made me so ill. No matter if I ate before or what, I was constantly nauseous. I actually threw up a few times and, um, I had migraines every single day. And I remember it was only halfway through the medication that I was just crying constantly. Cause I was like, I, I can't do this. Like I, this, it was really hard on my body. And I told my husband, I was like, if I do this surgery and it doesn't work, I am not, I cannot go on these antibiotics again. It was so rough on my body. And, um, I was just really upset at that point. So yeah, I finished the antibiotics the night before my surgery and then I had surgery and, um, 
at that point they were just waiting to see if the biopsy would come back positive. And I thought like it had to have worked because I felt so horrible. So I think it was the following Saturday that I think I had my surgery on a Tuesday and that Saturday I got results and my nurse called me again and she's like, hi, I'm just letting you know I got the results. And unfortunately, um, nothing has changed, which completely shocked me because I was like, how could nothing have changed when I felt so horrible? Like I could tell these antibiotics were working, but they were making me feel so terrible. And they, they were so surprised. And they said to me, you're the first person that we've ever had that this has happened to. And I'm like, Oh gee, thanks. You know, like, of course I am. So she basically gave me two options. One was you can take a new round of antibiotics, a completely different round of antibiotics and have surgery, have a biopsy, see what happens and do your transfer. Or you can do the antibiotics and then just trust that it's gone and just have the transfer. I thought the smart thing to do was to have the surgery because I really didn't know if my doctor would want to do the transfer or not if I didn't have the surgery. So I thought it was safe and then I would have peace of mind. I wouldn't be worrying during and after the transfer if the infection or whatever was gone. And I just thought it was the smarter answer. So we scheduled me to have surgery on February 14th. So that was Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to us. So we had the surgery and I felt really, really good about it. And before I went into surgery, my doctor actually talked to me and he said, I just want to let you know that no matter what the outcome is, I think we should continue on with the transfer. And we agreed. We were like, you know what? Three surgeries is too many. It's overkill. It's a lot on my body and we just need to move forward. And so we were all on the same page of, yes, let's move forward. So we decided to schedule me to come in for uh, my first ultrasound and more blood work the following Wednesday. So I went in and everything was very exciting. We were all very excited for me to start my transfer. We still didn't have the biopsy results, but we were expecting them like that afternoon. So I went in for my ultrasound. Everything looked great. My blood work was great. And, um, we had scheduled the transfer for March 5th. And so I was feeling amazing. I was like, we finally have a date. This is finally feeling like we're getting somewhere. And I was excited to tell my husband when he got home that we had a date and then my nurse calls me at like three in the afternoon again and she's like, okay, here's the thing. You still have chronic endometritis. It's still just as bad. It hasn't gotten better. We need to cancel your transfer for now. We think you need to talk to the doctor and possibly see a specialist for chronic endometritis. When I tell you that I was like so devastated, it, it was just a roller coaster. I went from them saying, no matter what, I'm going to have a transfer and everyone being really excited to do this to being told, actually, this is being canceled. So I was so upset. And I remember that weekend, my husband and I were like preparing to go in and, and hear that, yes, you were not continuing unless this gets solved. So we were devastated. We told our parents that it was canceled and we were just ready to hear bad news. So we go in on that Monday morning and we sit down and our doctor's like, yeah, I think, uh, I think we should continue on. And uh, we were like, what? And he's like, yeah, I think you should do the transfer. And so we were like, but I 
right. That's what I thought that we were doing. So we were just like so confused because he basically told us this. He was like, you can go see a specialist, but they're not going to know any more about this than I do because this isn't really anybody's forte except mine. And no one's going to know more than I do is basically what he said. Or you can get a surrogate, which costs about $90,000, which we cannot afford. And I don't really think I'd be comfortable with doing. And he said, or you can put this on pause and come back when you're ready or you feel like you need to break or whatever, or you can continue on with the transfer as planned. And I was like, well, yeah, I want to continue with the transfer as planned because that's what we had planned. So it was just, it felt really unnecessary. And then it ended up pushing the transfer like a week out, which was really upsetting. I felt like we went in a complete circle for nothing. And again, it was just like a roller coaster. It was unnecessary. So because chronic endometritis is somewhat of a newer finding, my doctor was basically saying that we don't actually know if chronic endometritis is going to prevent you from getting pregnant because we don't have enough like data, enough you know, clients who have had this. So there could have been people in the past who had it and got pregnant and had a successful pregnancy, but we don't actually know that. So because obviously the antibiotics aren't working, we should just continue on. And I totally trusted my doctor with whatever he said. And because I'm on an implantation protocol, I was on a steroid that would help with inflammation I was on Plaquenol, which it helps with, um, I think it was blood pressure or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. I was on a um, blood thinner injection and I was on a baby aspirin. So I felt like the odds were for us. And so I felt really good. So we ended up doing our frozen transfer on March 10th. And I remember being a little less excited about it than the first time because, remind you, I'd been through this already quite recently. And as exciting the first time was, my hopes were not up as high at all. I had also made a pact with myself that unless I had a major physical symptom, I would not test because I tested every day last time and it only stressed me out. So I had the transfer And this time I decided to do 48 hour bed rest because I did not try that last time and I just wanted to do anything I could to help this out. So this time I did have 48 hour bed rest and my husband did stay home with me. And that was really helpful. He helped uh, with the dogs, got me food whenever I needed it. I just kind of like got up to use the restroom and that was pretty much it. So I was on bed rest for the two days and then after that I just did light activity Um, no picking up anything heavy, nothing like that. And I think it was six days past my transfer. I woke up in the morning and I was making breakfast and I just started getting this horrible lower cramp. And I remember being like, wow, like this is really intense. This is really hurting me. But I thought like, you know, Maybe it's just, I don't know, the the hormones, the injections, whatever it is I'm on, like, I don't know. But as I went through the day, it became kind of like, not debilitating, but I had to sit down and like breathe. And I started getting worried because I felt like I was going to start my period and I was really upset. And I was like, this is not right. Like I, this cramp hurts so bad. It feels like I'm going to start my period. 
So I called the nurse. Actually, I had my husband call the nurse and tell them like, I'm having cramps. Is this normal? I feel like I'm going to start my period. And she said, as long as you're not like completely debilitated, it's okay. It could just be normal from after the transfer, but like I did not experience this last time. So I was a little bit concerned. And because they were so strong, I was like, I just think I'm starting my period, which would be way too early because six days past transfer is only 11 days past ovulation. And that would be really early to start my period. I would usually start at about like 14 or 15 days past ovulation. So that would have been really early. And I was on progesterone and oil shots, which should help prevent you from starting. So I was really concerned. And then minutes later I went to the bathroom and I saw like pink fluid and I was like oh my gosh I think I'm bleeding I don't know I'm spotting so I called the nurse back and I was like listen I'm spotting now I'm having like pink discharge and I'm concerned that I'm starting my period so instead of coming in that Friday for my blood results, they wanted me to come in Wednesday because they said at least if you were pregnant, you would be showing a little bit of HCG. Um, Not enough to be, you know, for it to be a promising pregnancy at that point, but at least they would know what's going on. And if not, then maybe there's something worse happening. They don't really know. So I I was really concerned at that point. And um, that evening, the spotting had stopped. I think the cramping had stopped. And I was like, you know what? I think this is my physical symptom and I decided the next morning to take a pregnancy test and in the five and a half years of trying, I've never in my life even seen a hint of a positive. So I'm at the point where like if I take a pregnancy test, I sit it down and I like continue on with my day. I don't like stare at it. So I had taken the test early in the morning and my husband was getting my progesterone and oil shot ready. And I was washing my hands and I kind of look over and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I see a line. But I've had that moment of, do I see a line before, you know? And then it wasn't. So I was kind of like, no, there's no way. But then I'm watching it and it's getting darker and it's getting darker. And I'm like, holy crap, this is a positive pregnancy test. So I run out into the kitchen where my husband, you know, is preparing stuff for me. And I'm like, babe, it's positive. And he like, he's like, what? You know, I think he was a little skeptical and he came in and and sure enough, he's like, yep, I see it. And I think we were both in shock because we've never seen a positive test before, but it was insanely like, it was exciting. But at the same time, when you've gone through so much like infertility struggles, you're also kind of like not hundred percent sure, or you're not going to get your hopes up too high because you just don't know. And it was really early. So immediately I, I believe I called my mom and I told her and she was so excited and um, my best friend happened to FaceTime me. So I told her, and then I decided to call the nurses and I said, I know that you want me to come in on, um, Wednesday, but I do want to let you know, I did get a positive pregnancy test. So should you, should I just come in on Friday? Because at this point, um, the coronavirus was starting to get kind of bad and I didn't really want to go out in public if I didn't have to because, you know, this was my first pregnancy and I didn't want to risk anything. So they were like, you know what? We want you to come in still tomorrow just to check, just to double check and see. 
So that's what I did. The following morning, I took another pregnancy test. The line was much darker than the day before, which is promising. And when I went in to get my blood test, the results came back at like in the 140s, which for eight days past transfer or 13 days past ovulation, that is really good. And I was feeling very confident about it. So I was, I was able to tell my sisters about it. I believe we told his parents and my dad at that point. And then, um, they did decide to have me come in again that Friday to make sure my levels were doubling. So I went in and, um, I took another pregnancy test that morning and the line was way darker than the control line, which I thought was promising. And then my blood test came back at 270. So it hadn't quite doubled, but your blood, your HCG level can double anywhere from 48 to 72 hours. So that was still a really great number for like 10 days past transfer, which is 15 days past ovulation. So they decided that they wanted me to come in again the following Monday to get another blood test just to make sure everything's fine. And um, I took another pregnancy test the day before that on Sunday. And when I took it, I felt like the line wasn't quite as dark as 10 days past transfer. So I was a little bit concerned because the line looked lighter to me. But again, you know, who knows why? And I I was trying not to worry too much. So I went in that Monday to get my blood test and there was just something in me that said something doesn't feel right. And that day the nurse called me and she had let me know that my level had actually dropped back into the hundreds. And typically when that happens, you should expect to miscarry, which was honestly the most devastating thing I've ever heard. I think I fell to my knees. I don't know. I scream. I was very, very, very upset. And um, my husband was upset. And it was just a very um, terrible situation. And we were super confused and angry. And, you know, at that point, we had to accept, like, we might be miscarrying. But they couldn't officially give me an answer until I came in. 48 hours later for another blood test, which also came back as dropping down to the 50s. So at that point, I was told to stop all my medication and just to expect a miscarriage. And we had to unfortunately tell, you know, everyone that we had told we were pregnant, that we lost the baby. And it was, it was really, really hard. Um, that Sunday I started miscarrying and that was a very painful and, Oh, just so upsetting of, you know, experience and, um, you know, my husband really did everything he could to make me comfortable and we just watched movies that were just like dumb chick flicks all day because that's really the only thing that got my mind off it and made me feel better. And, um, and so here I am and, um, I've, I, it's been a few weeks since I miscarried and I'm starting to feel like I'm going back to normal, but you know, it's, it's a day by day thing. Some days are really hard. Some days are really easy, but that's why I wanted to come on here and share my experience because opening up about this has really, really helped me. At this point in time, too, we've made the decision to take a break from trying to conceive. We still have one more chance of IVF through our insurance, but I don't know that we'll ever do it just because, you know, if if twice it's failed and we know what we know about everything now, 
I just don't know if I see it happening through IVF. So I think at this moment in time, we are taking the time to focus on ourselves, our marriage, our household, and take a break from thinking about trying to conceive. So if you are struggling with infertility, I just highly recommend that you reach out to somebody that you trust, somebody who has a lot of empathy, compassion, and just open up about your journey, how you're feeling. It's so important to talk about the way that you're feeling, to talk about your infertility. And as always, I'm always here to chat. If you have questions, if you just need to vent, whatever it is, um, you can find me on Instagram at Emily Orlando, E-M-I-L-Y-Y, O-R-L-A-N-D-O. And typically I respond to DMs there. I get a lot of messages there about fertility and infertility journey, IVF, all that. So I'm always there to take your questions. So thank you guys so much for listening to my very first podcast and I cannot wait to do more.